Oh, no, recording. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I just, you started to go, get going. I was like, I, w- I don't want to lose this. So, yeah. But like the advent hope that you're talking about, I think is um, is really profound. I mean, and I've really taken a page out of the, you know, Isaiah lesson of um, speaking hope to the exiles and all that kind of stuff. So I think that'll be fun to process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, I noticed that there was a bit of a slur on your side with the with the technology. So why don't we just go audio now? Let's just stop. Okay. I'll just stop video. We don't need to. All right, cool. Let's just I'll do just, that preemptively. So I'll we just don't. talk to a blank screen. How fun. <laughs> like my life now anyway, right? That's what we do. <laughs> Um, Reach into a video camera, talking to a blank screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I taught this confirmation class last Saturday or two Saturdays ago with a, a blank screen, and it was really a strange experience. It, well, not as strange <laughs> yes. as this is. I'm now looking at it. It's sort of like just talking at two different names on the screen. That's but anyway. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll find a way forward. Welcome everyone to this episode of God for Grownups. I am Pastor Dan Peterson of Queen Anne Lutheran Church, and it is my pleasure to welcome back our guest, Pastor Mark Griffith from St. Luke's Lutheran Church in Bellevue. Hi, Mark. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me back on. I love being a part of this. It's uh, always fun. It is fun. Uh, Although... (laughs) fun and the topic that we're going to discuss today i don't know if those go together but we'll we'll see if they can i'm sure we'll make it work <laughs> yeah our our topic for today so we are we are just at the end of 2020 and we are also now at the end as of about maybe what a week ago of the christmas se- of the advent season uh, we've now entered the christmas season and I felt it would be interesting to ask another pastor of the uh, of the same tradition in the Christian faith what hope looks like now that it so hope is the focus of Advent we hope and look forward to the birth of Christ but now uh, that we celebrate Christ being here I guess my question for you Mark is in what do you hope especially given that even though we have a vaccine that has recently become available. We're still looking at months of a pandemic before things are hopefully finally resolved. So what do you place your hope in, uh, Mark, as a, as a Christian, is, is my question. I think that's a profound question. And as I've been preparing for this conversation, it is um, astounding to me that I don't have a ready answer for that question. Um, I, I feel like a theology of hope should be more readily accessible, especially in our public presentation. I mean, after after all of this, hope is one of the central themes of, I, th- I think, the Christian narrative. And just the fact that I couldn't answer that question readily uh, made me think, boy, there's a, this is going to be an interesting conversation. I think we have, a, we have some work to do to fill this out. Um, and as, as we were preparing, we were talking too about, you know, the, the Advent season and how that aligns our hope. And I've been really um, captured by the writings of the prophet Isaiah through this Advent season, as he has both offered words of judgment and hope for the people of God who experienced the exile. And I don't, I think it's dangerous to draw parallels to saying, you know, the COVID pandemic is like the the Babylonian exile, because I think clearly there's some some daylight between those two experiences. Um, and yet, maybe there's some things that we can learn. And I have been really struck by Isaiah, particularly because 
I think the hope that he offers off it, it, it begins with an honest assessment of the present. And if you don't begin with that, I don't think you're actually dealing hope, um, but false promise. And so I think the current condition has to be assessed and understood as the beginning of hope. And then hope is that future oriented, I don't know what what word to use there, like expectation or hope that things could be better or things will be better, you know? Mark and I were speaking just before the the recording here and I I have the same problem. I was hoping Mark would have an answer <laughs> to, to, the, to the question of what do well, we there's a hope. <laughs> right. And what do we hope for? And not just as not just not say just as citizens of the United States, but as Christians. What flavor of hope do we have and in in, in what do we hope? And so yeah. I was hopeful that Mark would have an answer. And and frankly, I think the conversation is already moving in that direction. I, I really liked what you said about how whatever, however it is we define hope in the Christian tradition, we have to begin following the example of Isaiah with an honest assessment of the present. So what, yeah. what are the, it, it makes me think of Martin Luther and one of my favorite lines from his early writings where he says, a theologian of the cross calls a thing what it is. And I've always yeah. felt that that is really a, a prophetic uh, gift that Martin Luther gives those who are willing to listen. And that is, you have to name the reality before you can begin to, to offer some kind of answer or hope in response to that reality. And I also think, you know, you mentioned uh, a theology of hope. And again, the prophet Isaiah. Well, I think Right there, you already have a way to categorize hopes. A theology of hope, as it's been defined in the 20th century by theologians like Jürgen Moltmann and Wolfhart Pannenberg in Germany, a theology of hope is an eschatological hope that is a hope concerning the end and what will be uh, in and at the end. So it's really a, a hope that is, if not out of this world, also ahead of our time. It's something in the future, and it's something supernatural. That's when all of creation will be reconciled to its to its creator, to its deepest ground, and uh, all human beings and nature will be reconciled to one another. That's the Orthodox call that the eighth day of creation, which I've always liked. But in talking about Isaiah, Mark, you're talking not about simply a supernatural hope in the future, the absolute future, if you will. You're talking about the, you might call it the relative future or the time-bound future. And what do we hope this side of the grave or this side of the of the eschaton yeah. or this side of God? Yeah, I think that's a, a good distinction, but I don't think it's either or. I think you can have both of those. Is uh, You know, like right now I'm sitting at the end of 2020 hoping for a better year next year. But I also, as a Christian, have that eschatological imagination of hope for life beyond death or, you know, this kind of the fullness that you were speaking, the eighth day, kind of the fulfilling and, and fullness of, um, of creation. Um, I, yeah. And I agree with you. I, I think it doesn't have to be an either, or I guess my question though would be, can you have, can you have one without the other in particular? Can you have, can, is it legitimate as a, as a Christian or, I mean, we can't speak for, for members of the Jewish faith. So, I guess I want to. I guess I want to offer up the possibility that you can have a hope that you share with Isaiah in a, a time bound, in time bound possibilities, without necessarily hoping sure. for absolute 
uh, possibilities. But if you yeah. don't have that, if you don't believe in life after death, for example, which is frankly quite rare mm-hmm. among Christians, but it's out there. If you don't believe in that, can you still hope in a way that's yeah that's you know that that involves God and and God somehow working with us and through us to bring about something better than what we have now. Yeah, I think you can. And like you said, it's probably rare in the Christian tradition that that's the, uh, that's the case that, um, but nonetheless in a secular or uh, other religious perspective that doesn't have a robust afterlife theology or afterlife you know, perspective at all, I still have to think that it's possible to hope uh, just as within this life experience for it's I I'm gonna say it's a I, I'm gonna say it's just a very human orientation to be in the midst of maybe a bad situation and hope for something better. Yeah, one and, of the the philosophical influences on Moltmann is a is a philosopher named uh, what is it Ernst Bloch who says I think Bloch, that's right, yeah who says uh, yeah. that to be human is to hope that that we are we are actually oriented in that way. Um, I guess my question to you would be: Is it possible? to have a kind of this worldly hope as a Christian that not only sets aside, at least for the, let's just say as a thought experiment, not only sets aside eschatological or absolute hope, uh, but at the same time is somehow different than say secular hope, as you mentioned a few minutes ago. And if Uh so, what does that look like? What is the flavor of that kind of hope? What, how is that, how would we describe it if such a thing were, were possible? Let me give you an example. So I'm thinking, for sure. for instance, of the, the social gospel movement at the end of the 19th and the early 20th century. The social gospel movement was all about uh, was all about working toward the kingdom of God in history. And so, out of that, you have a number of of, uh, of institutions and commitments that arise that that have helped move us forward in a way that is at least presumably better than what was before. So it it could be, Mm -hmm. for example, we're not going to resolve the problem of poverty, but the social gospel movement put a dent in the problem of poverty. And so it's it's hoping in those kinds of this worldly things that that we can achieve with God's help that makes me think a Christian, this worldly type of hope is possible. What I guess I'm wondering is, especially now, you know, nearly a hundred years after the social gospel movement was so was so strong, what does Christian hope in the 21st century look like? I think that's challenging on a couple levels because um, you don't want to make hope then sort of a, a salvation project or synonymous with salvation in that we can hope our way out of the human condition. Um, and, you know, if we just work together hard enough, we can solve, pro- you know, we can solve all the problems that ill the world Um but we can still hope in what one of the great leaders of the Jesuit order in the 20th century, Pedro Arupe, uh, called partial successes, right? Or, or Reinhold yeah, Niebuhr yeah, in the Christian totally. tradition, yeah. in the Protestant tradition, talking about achieving uh, sort of uh, relative goals instead of absolute goals. Yep. And even though Martin Luther King yeah. would, would speak about uh, the mountaintop and that he's seen it, he never got there. Moses never yeah, made it. To Moses the never made land. it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, is it possible to kind of hold intention these the commitment and the hope on the one hand, but also, as you said earlier, I mean, I, I guess I'm stretching this a little further out, but 
not only a realis realistic assessment of the present situation, but also a realistic assessment of the human condition. Yeah. Um, such that we know we're never going to achieve the absolute eradication of poverty. But gosh, can we do something about it? We know we're not right. going to heal the planet entirely of, of the effects of global climate change. But gosh, can we do something about it? And yeah. again, how does that hope as a Christian differ perhaps from secular hopes that, that we otherwise share with folks? Well, I, mean, I really like that kind of particularity of hope that you're talking about too. It's like, I, I can't fix poverty, right? But I could perhaps help people in my community that are, you know, in my path kind of, or in my journey. And um, I can't fix global climate impact, but I can make sure the stream I live on is clean, you know? So I think mm -hmm. there are ways that we can make a small dent in a bigger, um, and even those actions, I think, are hope-filled um, that we work together to make a difference for people for a better future. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that is part of the Christian journey. I think that's part of the hope that we work together to achieve and fulfill. But then, you know, to think about like a, a secular hope, um, I'm not sure that's, you know, I still think there are people who don't believe in God, who don't have a faith life that they participate in regularly that are still sitting on the couch or walking around with their kids and hope for a vaccine and hope for next Christmas to be with their families. Um, hope is kind of this ecumenical, uh, well, like, as you said earlier, it's, it, it's a, it's a human activity. Right. In the 21st century, it's hard to argue anymore for universals, but I think that one's pretty close. It certainly gets an honorable mention among and across human experience that, that again, to be human is to hope. I guess, and, and maybe there doesn't need to be a, a, a radical distinction between secular hope and Christian hope, but I'm, I too uh, observe that, that there are plenty of people in, in the world who don't identify as, as Christian or even as spiritual who are hope-filled people and who do so many wonderful things to help realize those hopes. I think about the, the scientists, for example, who have been working tirelessly to find a vaccine. I'm sure that some of that is motivated by other factors like, uh, like profit and so forth. But I'll bet there are a lot of people in, in these positions who are doing it because they want to help people. And, well, and they're hopeful been, in that regard. One of the things that just astounded me was they were talking about one of the people who pioneered this um, our, you know, this new vaccine method. And this was long before the coronavirus or COVID-19 came along. They were just doing this work as a means of fighting uh, virus with the hope that it would be helpful someday. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's incredible, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe my question too is more of, okay, let's say in the West, at least people don't identify or many people don't identify as Christian, uh, say compared to 30 or 50 years ago. But are we not running on Christian fumes? I mean, isn't it the oh, case yeah. that even those who deny the, the the Christian faith often do so by appealing to values that were emphasized in the Christian tradition. Yeah, I, I like that. Maybe like, you know, post-Christendom, we're still running on some of that Christendom fumes, and that still kind of captures, um, I mean, in post-Christendom, 
in, in the United States, um, we still celebrate the heck out of Christmas, having just gone through that. I mean, it's a very um, beyond the religious tradition um, that everybody participates in. So maybe maybe those are kind of the echoes or fumes of Christianity that still persist in our culture and hope maybe just one of those um, in some way. Yeah, it's it's hard to get out of this fishbowl and see if uh, see what hope looks like, say, in India or or China or or parts of Africa. I mean, that are not uh, heavily Christianized. Yeah, and, uh, it, I guess what I'm after is a sort of maybe it's a genealogy of hope. I I, I oh, just find myself yeah. constantly fascinated by by the appearance of hope and what what motivates people in their hope, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't know. And or how is it that hope motivates people in what way? I mean, I hear a lot about Christians talking about heaven and talking about, I, I did quote the eighth day of creation or mention it from the Orthodox mm-hmm. tradition. But again, there, I wonder, you know, is it, is it because one believes in the, the afterlife and believes that say, you'll see your relatives and friends again, does that give you hope for this world or does it take it away? Or does it do yeah. both? I mean, why care about this world if if your future is in heaven with God is is a big question that I think needs to be asked. Yeah, totally. And how, so how do you answer this, that? <laughs> I'm putting all yeah. my questions to you, Mark. Well, just you have to answer just give these. me a minute here. I'll figure this out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, those are big questions, right? And I think just the I'm, fact that we're wrestling with that right now says a lot about I don't know. I feel like there's a, you know, Moltmann you've referenced wrote the theology of hope. Um, and it's kind of a, a, a parallel to Bloch's work on hope and uh, from a more secular position. Um, and I, I think just that we're having this conversation and it's uh, it's hard for us. I mean, I'm really reaching here uh, speaks volumes about, you know, we, I feel like we need to get this together so we can articulate the hope that we have. And I do believe we have a hope. I think it's, it's profound and, 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 and great. And yet I just, we, I can't articulate it well. And I think that's a shortcoming that, wow, I'm all of a sudden realizing I need to, I need to get that together so that I can, because I see a need also for hope, uh, especially in the COVID crisis, we see, you know, economic devastation. We've seen loneliness and depression take tremendous toll. Um, I think if we can articulate a message of hope, that'd be, that'd be powerful. I think we need that hope now more, maybe more than ever in the experience of my lifetime. I think you're right. And I think what you just provided there was, was one of those honest assessments of where we are as a, as a nation right now, that we do need hope. People are hungry for hope. And and yet at the same time as, as as Christians with integrity, I would like to think our our congregations, our church is, and all of the pastors are responsible for providing a. Uh, I guess I would call it a meaningful, realistic hope. It, yeah, you know, kind of something I can I can truly put my my faith and hope in. And so I, you know, as a pastor, and this is what I'd love to hear from you is. You know what messages? What message of hope have you preached in the past, or what message of hope are you uh, embark? What what message of hope did you preach over the course of Advent, for example? Well, I mean, I think there's something hope-filled about the fulfillment of you know Isaiah and John the Baptist, and seeing the Word of God made flesh, and 
you know, naming that journey of hope that has been fulfilled in the Christ child, right? This revelation of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we kind of go through that cycle of expectation and hope and see that fulfilled. And we live that drama every year and every time we go through the Advent season. And it's kind of an interesting practice of hope in that we, we, you know, we know that Jesus is going to be born. We know that, you know, we're going to, we're going to get to the manger eventually. Uh, but nonetheless, we suspend in some way our disbelief and go through that cycle and drama. Um, and it's almost like a rehearsal of hope um, in the season of Advent. And I think we also hear, you know, I've, like I said, I'm just really enamored with the words of Isaiah and his uh, honest, bare assessment of the present condition, and then offering a thread of hope. And I think for the people of God that experience the exile and for us, one of the hope-filled promises is that God is with us, that we haven't been abandoned in the current conditions. So our exercise doesn't end at just an assessment of the current conditions, however good or bad that might they might be. And I think most of us would agree that 2020 has not been a, a, a shining condition for most of us, but nonetheless, God is present with us. And I think there is something hope-filled about the creator of the cosmos is with us in the flesh, in the midst of this human experience, and we're not alone. Yeah, and I think you've just hit on on something that 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 at least it speaks to me, and that is that your talk of rehearsal that that by repeating the Advent and Christmas story every year, we we rehearse a narrative of hope, you might say, and not only sure. of hope but of of hope fulfilled. And yeah. then maybe the task for us is instead of simply repeating the story, but uh, inviting ourselves to really tease out the implications that, okay, this is the narrative and the narrative in Luke's gospel at least has the, uh, I think it's the, what is it? The angel in Luke chapter one, verse 37, who says for nothing will be impossible with God. Yeah. And that's in the Elizabeth encounter when, uh, yeah, when, yeah. Uh, yeah, in and, reference and, to Elizabeth's pregnancy, yeah. And so I guess I find myself wondering, okay, the benefit of this rehearsal each year of, of, of this narrative of hope and its realization unexpectedly in the birth of the Christ child is that, as, as it says, with God, nothing will be impossible. And so I find yeah. myself thinking, gosh, you know, if we could tease that out and, and, and use that as the basis uh, or the lens through which we look at present day events. And we think to ourselves, look, in the past, God has brought about something glorious, though hidden, but glorious yeah. uh, in the infant Christ and uh, and has done what was deemed at the time believed to be impossible. And yet it happened. Maybe it's uh, Maybe that's sort of what the narrative of hope gives us in the Christian tradition is that now our eyes are opened to possibilities that we uh -huh. may not have been open to before. Yeah. The rehearsal kind of cracks open our imagination for God to be at work, not just in the Babylonian exile, but in the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, we can kind of trace through God's presence revealed in those stories of old. And I think with hope filled imagination, look at our own present condition and, you know, start to see traces and threads of how that same God is is present in this crisis or Absolutely. in our own midst. 
Yeah, like like lights glimmering on a on a horizon or something, and and being able to see those with uh, with the glasses of hope that, yeah. that the narrative gives us. Now, uh, this is not the first time you've used the language of rehearsal to talk about something in the Christian faith. I seem to recall in a previous episode, you were talking about uh, the rehearsal of what is it in the worship service that the worship service provides a kind of rehearsal for life in the world. Is that does that ring a bell? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really do think about worship in context of rehearsal and that I think sometimes we get it backwards. We think worship is the main event and then we go live our lives. And I think worship is the rehearsal and the main event is us out in the world living our lives. Yeah. And and so... And I think the Christian cycle or the cal- liturgical calendar provides a kind of a broader container or context for that rehearsal of worship in, you know, and so that's, that's how I think about Advent in, the, in that way that I was speaking of. I, that is so fascinating. I, there's a, 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 a theologian, Cyril O'Regan, formerly of Notre Dame. I worked with him when I was a doctoral student and he talks about how in, in the concept of, of, of uh, mystics. And I think in the philosophy of, of Hegel, from the 19th century, the most undecipherable philosopher in Western history, apparently. <laughs> yes. Very hard to read, but 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 uh that the Trinity itself, the the Trinity in and of itself, rather, before before time begins, before space is created, the Trinity itself is a rehearsal of love. And that rehearsal yeah. is yeah. then born out in the history of the world. And I think to myself, wow, you could do a whole theology of rehearsal here. Talking about how Interesting, Trinity yeah. is rehearsal, the worship service is rehearsal, and uh, the the lectionary, the seasons of the faith are all rehearsals for what it means to live as people of faith out in the world. And I, yep. I don't know that, and and to be able to again to recognize possibilities that may have been missed because we've rehearsed the narrative of hope already in the context of our worship lives is really fascinating and- to me. And I sometimes think about the the sacraments as kind of the pinnacle of the rehearsal of we break bread at the table together and experience God's presence. And we learn to see God in the breaking of the bread so that when I'm sharing a meal with my family or I'm with friends with, you know, remember that time we could go out to eat with our friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but in those moments, then we've practiced seeing God in the sacrament. We've seen God in the breaking of the bread so that when I am out in the world breaking bread, I have the perspective and imagination for God to be present in the breaking of that bread. Yeah. And in, and in uh, certain contexts too, right. That, that you break the bread with those who are in need, for example, that that yeah. is uh, yeah. one of the special places where God is, is present. Yeah. And so, so to, to take this back to kind of where we began with the, 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 the two kinds of hope, the, this worldly hope and the otherworldly yeah. or afterworldly hope, I wonder then if it's possible to kind of rejoin them. I mean, to think about, all right, so we've, we've been talking about uh, a kind of lens through which we recognize possibilities in which we have hope where God might be present. That's clearly this worldly. And I sure. think it's clearly in line with somebody like the prophet Isaiah or long before him, the prophet Amos, who talked about the day of the Lord or after him in the Jewish tradition, philosophers like Maimonides in the Middle Ages talking about the Messianic age. But even there, too, we're talking about almost a different category of history. Actually, we are talking about a different category yeah. of history. 
And I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I guess now that we've decoupled them for a moment, it might be interesting to see what happens when we, when we couple them again and how one informs the other. Um, yeah, Perhaps. there really does seem to be a uh, a dynamic relationship between hope that we carry in this world and then in this experience, and hope that we have, uh, you know, kind of eschatological hope. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know what to I don't know what to do with that. Maybe that needs to be another episode in the podcast. But I think for both of those, though, the impulse is towards something better or something. Um, I mean, hope is never hope is always up. What's the connection between hope and optimism? That's an interesting thing. Yeah. I just thought about loud. <laughs> well, know. yeah, no. And I think I think it's Martin Luther King who makes that distinction. And he says that he's hopeful, but he's not an optimist. And, oh, and man. I think, I think the, the challenge of optimism, I, I'm guessing the critique is probably that optimism usually assumes things about the human condition that simply aren't true, that have not been born out of history, that ignore a kind of sober assessment yeah. of who we really are and how oftentimes we, how selfish we can be. Uh, whereas, well, and in that context, then, you know, false hope is idolatry then, right? I mean, it's hoping for things that are Sure, not... it's placing hope in something that isn't going to deliver the goods. Yeah, like, I hope I have a Ferrari tomorrow is ridiculous, right? <laughs> right. And I hear they're not that great to drive on it, honestly. But um, <laughs> I, yeah. We just I, lost I, our Ferrari endorsement, man. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hoping I can get that back next uh, next time. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, hope there are certain realistic real. hopes. And I guess that's why I find that distinction between optimism and hope uh, a helpful one. Because it, totally. it doesn't mean that you have to be cynical uh, to give up hope. It just means that you have to be realistic. Yeah. Um, well, and so then there's room for, I mean, you, the, uh, I guess on either side, you, you get the cynic or the Pollyanna, right. Perspective. That's right. like, and it just allows for a sober assessment of like, this is what's happening. And I hope, you know, for like right now, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I hope that goes away. I hope right. we're able to gather. I hope we're able to be vaccinated and safe in our communities being together. And so hope is always for something better and there it's always future oriented, whether it's, you know, eschatologically future or next year future oriented. So those are, I'm just trying to think about what do these hopes have in common? Something yeah. better, both future oriented. I think they're both rooted in the present and informed by our actual experience now. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, I guess, uh, I guess there is some kind of I don't know. I, I remember the 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 title of a C.S. Lewis book, "Surprised by Joy." I, I think there is in that statement about uh, about God in uh, in Luke chapter one about how with God all things are possible. That that maybe it's a kind of hope in the unexpected, the hope not uh, just, not yeah. just being realistic about it, but in some cases being open to to being surprised by joy or surprised by reconciliation or surprised by by healing, I mean, and and so forth. I I don't know. It's how do you weave the element of 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 surprise and and yeah, yeah in this. And so the other thing uh, that you just made me think was whether your hope is you know kind of the big eschatological hope or next year hope. That hope changes the present too. I mean, if I'm hopeful, even in the, in a, in a, in a negative situation or, or bad context, that hope for a better future, I think can lift one presently. Right. Right. 
Yeah, and I I think that's the I think that's been the one of the real really important insights that that theologians in the theology of hope school or the proleptic theism school the idea that yeah that uh, there is an absolute future and that future has been anticipated and and pre-realized in the resurrection of Christ these are folks who who recognize that that how we understand ourselves in the present is informed by what we think about the future and whether that future is absolute in the case of life after death or whether that uh-huh. future is relative in the case of greater peace on earth, that whatever we think about those will inform the way we live in the here and now. And I think that's that's part of why I have such a difficult time with life after death. I want to believe in something. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And and my thinking is that if one does, that that allows one to, that gives one a different demeanor in, in this life and in this moment. Whereas if you're not sure, or if, uh, if you really don't, that does change the way you live in the present, or at least it potentially does. Well, it's interesting to think about hope as a, a, a transformative, I mean, it can transform the present. Maybe that's how God uses hope. Maybe that, maybe that's really <laughs> the point. I remember, uh, uh, a colleague of mine at, at PLU, who would say that the point of prophecy is not to predict the future. It's to speak of the future as a way of changing the present. Yeah. That's interesting to think hope is along the same lines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so I think you're right. I think that our, our, our attitude and our orientation toward the future and, and our hope or lack thereof changes how we live in the present and how we understand ourselves and our world in the present. And I also think hope can't be abstract. I don't think. Well, it can in my brain, but you're right. For most people, it can't be abstract. <laughs> most things are abstract in my brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's something, I think we, we, we don't just hope for hope. I mean, we hope for something maybe more or less concrete or, right. you know, less abstract, but I mean, but there's always something is hoped for. You don't just live in nebulous hope, right? I mean, there's always a you have to you always have to hope and follow it with for something, right? Right. Absolutely. There's something tangible or concrete in terms of what we hope for. Um, and again, that applies both to this world and the next. Yeah. Whatever whatever we think about the next, we still use images from this world to think about it. So we're hoping for something there. Hope then is just really an imagination for the future that draws us forward, I think, that helps us, I think hope helps us face the day and in, in some way, I think it pulls us into the promise of God. I mean, it gives us the power to face the day. Uh, you know, it's Hillock's courage to be and gives us that kind of, you know, fortitude and courage to boldly face the future because we have hope. Right. So it's, it's, it's not only an imagination for the, for the future, although it certainly is that. And I would add, it's an, it's an imagination of possibilities that we may not have, or at least an openness to possibilities that we may not have been open to before. But it's also one that changes the present and the way we live in the present, potentially, which is the power of hope. And maybe well, so it's interesting caught think- up in that power that, is, that, is, that there's something divine in that. I don't know. And I, I love the idea of, be, of hoping to be surprised, you know, and I mean, we could pull another uh, exile story and, and think about the, uh, the exodus, you know, and like here God's people are out in the wilderness and they're surprised by manna. This, you know, so could we read that narrative and like, man, I hope to be surprised like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really, if we've hit on anything this, this episode, I think it's, 
It's really recognizing that these narratives are rehearsals that train us uh, to that train us in the capacity for hope and in the, yeah. the, the, the spread of hope, the, the applicability of hope that, that we look back to these stories and we see how the people were hopeful and, and saw ahead of them possibilities that would have been missed. Otherwise people who are surprised mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. so, so kind of hoping for that, that same type of surprise. I think there is real power in, in these stories for that. For that reason. Well, and grabbing those as stories of reference that inform our imagination to speak hope to our congregations, you know, from the pastoral or relational perspective, those stories of reference then inspire and empower us to say, look how God's people have been surprised before. And we can hope for that. Look how exactly. God has been present with God's people throughout history, through the prophets, through the New Testament, and we can we can speak hope for that in our own experience. Absolutely, I, I think that's a that's a really concrete way to to help motivate and inspire hope in people, especially right now, given all the the challenges we're facing. But I also love how hope. Then, I mean, as a as maybe part of the human condition, we're just accidentally hopeful. Um, I think that's a great touch point for us as we engage a secular world. I mean, we have this common language of hope, and I think that makes for good public theology. I think that makes for maybe even good evangelism as we're able to connect on these themes of hope, what is hope and what is hoped for. Um, those become powerful conversations. I agree. I think it's I think it's it's helpful insofar as we have this commonality, this uh, this basic quality of, of what it means to be human that we share. And at the same time, based on the, the rehearsals, the narratives that we have in our tradition, we can also bring that to the table as a, as a way to imagine possibilities going forward and to expect uh, to be surprised or to hope to be surprised. So I, I think, yeah, I agree with you that, that because we share this aspect of the human condition with everyone else, we can join with them irrespective of faith traditions or lack thereof. And at the same time, we can bring something to the conversation as well. Namely the the stories of the past. And as a I framework know, I mean, for for helping us hope for the future. And uh, I mean, you and I had a really powerful experience with uh, with Dr. Reggie Williams and his work on Bonhoeffer's experience in the Black Church in Harlem and all that. And um, you know, that also is kind of in my imagination as we're thinking about hope. And so, you know we're two white men and I think hope takes on different contexts for people who are people of color, people who are, you know, on the, on the margins of society and different social structures and things. Um, but I was really enamored with Dr. Williams articulation of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's experience of finding hope in the black community in New York and Harlem, um, even in the midst of, racism and you know oppression that they were dealing with but that he saw god active in in their story as they saw god active in their story yeah and their story in turn was also motivated by narratives that we share but but maybe there but at the same time narratives that that we don't re- always read the same way that don't have the same meaning for yeah. us because of our different social location our 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 privilege or Absolutely. lack thereof so so, yeah, I mean, to kind of put all of that in the mix, to be learning from other communities, especially those who are on the margins 
as well as from the tradition and its stories, I think all makes for a, for a, a kind of, um, again, a framework, uh, uh, for, of hope. And, and for me, it's just important to broaden that perspective. You know, I mean, I think there are people even in our own communities right now who are hoping they get to eat dinner tonight. And that's not a hope that I, I have, you know, I mean, I, I trust that I will eat dinner. I didn't even think about it. Um, but there is a hope that is, that is powerful that and, and it's big. And I think we need to, to capture the broadness of what it means to be hopeful. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about at the beginning of, of our conversation, we both said we had no idea what we were going to talk about. What is the one thing that you think you could really take away from this conversation when it comes to hope? I think first I would say that there's there's a lot more thinking that needs to be done around, you know, how do we articulate the message of hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ? I think there's something uh, untangible and tacit that we all just assume, and it would be great to really be able to articulate that. So that's first, I think. But then for me, I think what I've what I would take away from this conversation is that um, hope is an orientation to the future, whether that's next year or next, you know, the kind of an eschatological hope. Either way, that hope draws us forward in um, into the future, and that hope can also transform the present. And I think that makes a huge difference in how we live our lives. I would agree and I would I would add one thing. I would say that hope is an orientation to the future informed by narratives of the past. Mm, I love that. That we have the hope that we have based upon our repeated exposure to these narratives of hope that we find in both testaments, that we find in the prophet Isaiah of, of the first testament, and that we find in the birth story of Jesus in the second, and that yeah. these narratives can inform a, a kind of openness to, to the future and help us to see possibilities that we may not, like I've, I've said a couple times now, may not have considered otherwise. Yeah, so. totally. No, I love that. Yeah, that's a way to get those stories of reference into our understanding of hope. And we can say, you know, our hope is not unfounded because we've seen God at work through these stories, through these, you know, witnesses over the courses of human history. And right. our hope then is grounded. We're not just willy-nilly hoping for things. We're, we're seeing what God has done, and that is grounding our hope and what God can do in our lives. Absolutely. That gives us the basis for, for hope in this world. Amen. Well, again... Yeah, this is good. I love. Yeah, good. Good work. This is great. <laughs> Congratulations. We we came up with a tangible <laughs> response, concrete response. I want to thank our guest, Pastor Mark Griffith, for joining us on this episode of God for Grownups. Don't forget to subscribe. You can find us otherwise on any format where podcasts are available. See you next time. <laughs>